Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Padgett here and this week I'm excited to be chatting with Lauren Hom about hand lettering. But before we dive into that, I want to thank FreshBooks for sponsoring the podcast. We're nearly at the tax season, so if you don't already have an accounting software, I highly recommend that you give FreshBooks a go. It's a great tool for quickly creating great looking branded invoices. And what I love about them too is that your client can make the payment online directly from the invoice too. You can try it out for yourself with a free 30-day trial just by heading over to freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek and enter logo geek and how did you hear about section to get started so as mentioned this week i'm really excited to be chatting with lauren hom an incredibly talented hand lettering artist based in detroit her work is really bright colorful and playful and uh, if you're not familiar with lauren's work i highly recommend that you go and check it out for you know a real dose of inspiration her work is absolutely incredible i mean she's worked with customers such as starbucks google youtube and time magazine and she's also been recognized by companies such as communication arts the type directors club and webby awards too In this interview, we discuss how she became a hand lettering artist, what her process looks like, how she works with an illustration agent and so much more. In this episode, we reference quite a few resources. So I recommend that you also check out the show notes, which you can find just by heading over to logogeek.uk forward slash 4.5. Anyway, let's jump straight into this. Here is the interview with Lauren Hom. When researching for this interview, I came across a blog of yours from a few months back called Dear Burnout Art Director, where you shared a really honest story about finding your dream job, only to get to a point where you felt really drained and uninspired. Can you tell us more about this time and and how you was able to get out of that situation? Absolutely. Wow. I have to take myself all the way back to 2013. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like I mentioned in the article, a lot of people don't know this, but I did not major in uh, art or illustration or even graphic design in college. I majored in advertising, Um, not the marketing side, but just uh, creative advertising. I wanted to be an art director at a big ad agency. And so I kept my head down and I was doing that in school. And that's what I ended up doing. I graduated and uh, about a month later, I got a job at a big ad agency and it was great. And I think after about, I don't know, three or four months, I started getting a little bit worn, but I, you know, I had believed from, from what I had heard from older uh, like peers and teachers that, you know, as a junior, anything, you know, as an entry level employee, you were supposed to just work hard and you were going to get kind of the grunt work. And if you just kept your head down and worked hard, you would be able to kind of uh, move up in the organization. And that's just what I thought was required in order to be successful in the advertising world. So it was fine for the first couple months. And I don't know, after maybe six months of working more weekends than I wanted to and staying late. And it's not that I, I think it's at first I had told myself like, oh, maybe I'm just not Hard, like hardworking enough, but I don't think anybody wants to work 60 or 70 hours a week if they don't have to. However, 
I find that even now as a, you know, freelance lettering artist, sometimes I do work 60 or 70 hours a week, but it's different because I enjoy what I'm working on and I'm passionate about it. And what had really gotten to me about advertising was we were put on all these pitches and all these briefs to come up with ideas and design campaigns and none of them ever sold through. And I didn't realize that was going to be such a deal breaker for me to put in all of this work and never see, I guess, any of the fruits of our labor. And so after about six months, I hit my breaking point when I, I think you might've read in the article that we had been working on a pitch uh, for multiple late nights. And I came home, I hadn't gone grocery shopping all week. It was two, two, three in the morning and I ate cold ravioli on my kitchen floor and kind of had my uh, aha moment where I was like, huh, you know, if it's, if it's like this six months in, what's it going to be like six or 10 years in? And I had heard from a very wise friend, I think not too long before that, that all you had to do was look to someone five or 10 years senior to you in the position to see what your life would be like at at the job. And I didn't, I realized that I didn't want that. Um, And I realized it wasn't because I wasn't a hard worker or that I was weak. Uh, It was just not the right fit. And that was the hardest, I think, thing to stomach for me was that I had just made the wrong choice and that's okay. Um, And there was something I could do about that. So I think backtracking even more, um, this is kind of what I talk about now a lot and what I teach is I had been lettering before that just as a hobby, just for fun um, on the side. And it turned into this kind of plan B life raft from advertising that I didn't think I would need, but ended up being the reason I was able to transition out of my job that I was so deeply unhappy at so quickly. Um, I think when people hear my story, it's they're like, oh, you left your job so fast and were able to transition into a like thriving lettering career. And people don't realize that I had been lettering, I think, for a year and a half before that. So I had set myself up with a foundation for another career. And it's tough because I know it's, I think with time constraints, it's unreasonable for everybody to have a solid plan B all the time. But I think as creative people, we're always, you know, dabbling in things or tinkering on a side project. And I just remind people that don't, don't discredit those things because they could, they not just could, but they will come in handy later down the road. You just don't know when and what you're going to need it for. Oh, absolutely. I I think your story is, is really inspiring. Uh, I I actually wasn't aware that you didn't study art or design. I, I mistakenly assumed that that's how you was able to get your marketing job. So it's, it's incredible to think that you was able to get to a point where you could work in, in hand lettering full time. So can we dive into that? Like going back to those early days, mm-hmm. what, what did you do to, to learn hand lettering so that you could get to a point where you was good enough to be hired for it? Yeah, well, I guess all of my life I had been, you know, again, I had been drawing words. I just didn't know there was a term for it. So I... I was the kid in uh, grade school who people would be like, oh, you know, she has good handwriting. Can you write my name? Can you doodle on my notebook? Uh, so it started kind of humbly. And then from there, I just kept, I think, dabbling in it. But again, didn't know it was a career. And I went into advertising in uh, university. I was required to take one typography class. Uh, and that's where I think my interest in I guess, lettering and type peaked. I was like, oh, there are people who do this 
full time. Um, you know, that was typography. So it was more, uh, typesetting and things like that. But, uh, one of the first assignments we got in that class was actually more lettering based, which kind of set the foundation for what I do now. Our teacher had us draw all 26 letters in like the classic Roman capital style on these big, uh, three foot by three foot pieces of paper. So we could learn all the nuances of like letter forms. And I remember, in class completing the assignment, I think the fastest out of everybody and realizing that I had a knack, I guess, for drawing type. And uh, that's when, I think that's when my interest in it really peaked. And so I kept doing it on the side, even though I was full on uh, in the advertising program. And I took a communication design class with Gail Anderson, who's amazing. And I knew that I wanted to stick with advertising because I had it, it was an interesting time because I had invested two and a half years into advertising, so more than half of my university time, and it felt like a bad time to try something else and start with another major. So I was like, I'm going to stick this through. I'll just dabble and type on the side. That's cool. So I took Gail's class as a way to hone my design skills, but also work more with type because she was a graphic designer who just worked with a lot of type, and I thought that would be she'd have a good eye for that. And I remember maybe a month or two into class, she pulled me aside and she was like, I think you're in the wrong major. I think you should study design. Um, and I kind of laughed it off just saying, you know, oh, but I've already, you know, put almost three years into um, advertising and I'm going to stick with it. So she and I, we get together about once a year and we joke about that. She, she just kind of knew. Um, but what had happened right after that was, because I loved doing type so much on the side outside of my advertising curriculum, and I wasn't really able to use lettering in my advertising projects. Um, I was in my communication design projects, but ad stuff stayed ad stuff. I ended up starting a like blog on the side called Daily Dishonesty. It was a Tumblr blog um, back in 2012. So this is at the very start of senior year of college. Um, and it was really just a simple Tumblr blog that I started posting these images to. And the idea for it came with when me and my roommate were drunk and joking around. And I realized that she and I lied to ourselves all the time, but in innocent ways. So things like calories don't count on the weekends, or I'll just have one drink tonight, just little things that we were 21 years old, like little things that younger kids lie about. And I would use that or use those phrases as prompts for my hand lettering and just hand letter the phrase and upload it to the blog. And within a few months of running that, it caught a good wind of the internet. And I had, you know, amassed a the following of a couple thousand people, which turned into 10,000 people. And that was really motivating to me uh, to be like, oh, look, here's this audience starting to form around my silly hand lettering project that was really just meant to be a funny thing for my friends to check in on and for, a way for me to catalog um, all of these phrases in one place. And I think that that mentality, which has really set the stage for all of the marketing that I do, comes from my advertising background of thinking in campaigns. We never really created singular pieces in advertising. We always had to think of a bigger idea for the campaign and then execute multiple pieces under that. So with that as my foundation, I think that that's how something like Daily Dishonesty started, where I was like, okay, bigger idea, little white lies, and I'm going to execute it you know, hundreds of different ways under that one kind of idea with hand lettering. So crazy, I guess, uh, you know, fast forwarding, I was running the blog all throughout 
my senior year of college, while I'm doing portfolio and all my finals and preparing to get an advertising job. And by the time I graduated, I had actually been in contact with a literary agent who had found the blog online, I guess stumbled across it as anyone stumbles across something and random. And we had ended up working together and we sold Daily Dishonesty to uh, Abrams, which is a big publishing house in New York. And I, the same week that I graduated college, I was also signing a book deal. And I, it was a little bit surreal because it was completely unrelated to my studies. And it just seemed kind of like this, oh, lucky thing that I stumbled across. But it was also the first kind of inkling of validation that this could be a profitable thing that could be a job. Um, but even after that, I, I think as a recent graduate, if you've spent four years studying one thing, it's really hard, even though if you've had success in another thing, to completely pivot the other way. It felt like a waste of my studies. So that's why I ended up going into advertising. But And I figured that you know maybe in five or 10 years, I would, have to, I would come to a fork in the road and maybe I would have to choose if I kept hand lettering on the side and you know picking up the odd freelance client here or there. Um, then I would have to choose between that and then um, advertising. But it happened within, I guess, six to nine months. So it just, <laughs> the process was expedited. It's incredible. I, I know this would be inspiring to, to so many people. Thank you. <laughs> so when you did make your mind up that you wanted to leave that job, I know you, you had your blog and you had that book mm-hmm. deal already, which is amazing in its own right. But how did you go from having um, that job to becoming a full-time hand lettering artist like what was that transition like the transition was actually very slow and gradual um I think that again after six months I realized I was unhappy and needed to make a change but I didn't end up leaving the job till about nine months in so in that three-month period uh that's when I really started getting the gears going on my transition so it ended up because of Daily Dishonesty, uh, I had built this kind of really powerful portfolio piece. I had the credibility from the book deal. So I had I had my footing already, I suppose, in commercial hand lettering um, because of all of that, that it was totally unintentional, but that was what had happened. And what I started doing after I had my epiphany uh, eating cold pasta on the floor after six <laughs> months, I decided I would transition my portfolio, which at the time I believe was just uh, laurennicolehom.com, I decided I would make a lettering portfolio instead of having an advertising portfolio. So I had already had Daily Dishonesty in my advertising portfolio just as a cool thing that I had, I've done. And I started transitioning all of my advertising work out of my portfolio and putting in you know, self-initiated hand lettering pieces. I had a couple uh, freelance things that I had done over the years, but nothing nothing major, I would say. I think the biggest project I had in my portfolio prior to leaving my job was a student project. Uh, actually, not a student project, but it was a campaign that YouTube had done with students um, to celebrate, I can't remember what anniversary it was, but it was something something of that sort where I got to design a poster. So I had that in my portfolio. So I just had a kind of hodgepodge of lettering things I had done uh, over the last year and a half um, with no no particular focus, but Daily Dishonesty was definitely the, the highlight of all of that. So I started shifting my portfolio. I t- tried to take on more freelance lettering work. Um, 
I had gotten a couple projects, not, not even a couple. I had gotten, I'd say a handful, maybe 10 or so over the last year and a half because of this, the circulation daily dishonesty had around the internet. It just got eyes on my work and people were like, oh, if you, can you do something for me in that same style, but for, you know, the stationary line I'm starting. And so I had, I had dipped my toes in freelance. And so I started ramping that up, just saying yes to more things because I, was taking on a couple projects on the side here and there, even though I was working in advertising. But once I realized I wanted to leave, I stopped caring as much about yeah. <laughs> my advertising job and just dedicated more time to lettering. At that same time, I was working on illustrations for the Daily Dishonesty book. I had to make additional illustrations um, to the ones that were already live on the blog because uh, when it comes to like blog to book content, they want to make sure that there's incentive for your current readers to buy the, the book. So there's new stuff in there. So I was working on that too. Uh, I started reaching out to illustration agents as well. Um, and that really stemmed from, I had seen a bunch of other designers online who seemingly were working for themselves and freelancing and thriving. Uh, people like Jessica Hish, Dana Tanamachi, John Contino, Dan Cassaro, Jeff Rogers. And I remember just perusing their portfolios and, I noticed there was a trend amongst all my, you know, favorite, seemingly most successful designers that all of them had illustration agents. And me being 23 at the time, I really didn't put much more thought into it other than, oh, most successful illustrators must just have agents, so I should get an agent. That was really just my thought process. No one had no one had told me it was hard to get an agent. No one had told me how to get an agent. I just figured huh, I'm just going to email all of their agents. So I went through my favorite, you know, 20 or so designers' websites, clicked on all their contact links, saw who was representing them, and sent emails to all of their agents just with a <laughs> brief introduction. And uh, I had learned uh, from my literary agent, actually, the woman who helped me sell Daily Dishonesty, how to pitch Daily Dishonesty to, uh, like, media sites. And so I used that kind of same model of, here, like, here's my like one paragraph pitch of, hi, my name's Lauren. I'm an art director who's looking to transition into illustration. I, uh, here are the things that I've done. Um, here's, here's my work. And I attached five low-res JPEGs of my work to the email and just sent that out to a bunch of agencies. And I think of the 25 or 30 I reached out to, I heard back from three or four and set up calls with all of them. And, uh, I ended up signing with the same agents that I have now. Um, at the time, they were called Reach, but now they're Satellite. They consolidated. They were like two sister agencies, uh, but now they've consolidated into Satellite. And we started working together on a trial basis um, because I was so new and had didn't really have a footing in uh, freelance illustration and lettering. I had done you know the odd project here and there, but they wanted to kind of test out how it would be working together and. This is while I was still at my agency um, or at, at the advertising agency. So we did the trial run. It went well. Um, and so by the time I was ready to fully leave the advertising agency, I was fully signed with an illustration rep too. So it, it there was a lot of overlap that happened. And I think that the misconception is once you're unhappy at your job, you quit and then you figure it out as you go. But I actually had that three-month overlap of okay, I'm going to keep my day job, even though I really don't like it, just to give myself a little bit more, to buy myself some more time, I guess, financially too. And more than financially, I would say emotionally, that was a bigger 
bigger hurdle for me to jump than the financial part because I was fortunate to have uh, started Daily Dishonesty and gotten the book deal from it. I had $25,000 in my savings account, which for me at 23 was a ton of money. And I knew that could float me for quite a while because I was living fairly inexpensively. So the financial part wasn't even the hard part for me. It was emotionally getting ready to leave a job that I had just started nine months ago and to give my parents, I guess they weren't terribly worried, but they were slightly concerned um, after putting their you know daughter through school that she was going to pivot, uh, make a career pivot this early. Um, but I, they trusted me and they told me to follow my gut. And I won't say that they weren't worried, but it ended up working out. And now they, now they're totally on board. <laughs> but I think it was a little bit concerning to have, have their daughter leave a job so soon. So there was that three-month overlap, and that is how I transitioned, I guess, more comfortably out of my job. And um, yeah, it was really just, I remember the day that I quit, uh, or the day the day after I quit, I woke up and realized I did not have to go to work. And there is this like, ah, oh, like calm, calm feeling. And I did realize too that it was kind of amazing just all the events that led up to that, because me starting that hand lettering blog, Daily Dishonesty, was really just on a whim for fun on the side while I was in school. And that was the reason I was able to leave the job so quickly and so seamlessly, because had I not started that, I wouldn't have had a lettering portfolio um, built up. I would not have had any notoriety um, or anyone attaching my name to lettering. I wouldn't really have anything else. I, I would have been all advertising and perhaps I would have just gotten a different advertising job after that. So that one silly little idea and that one simple Tumblr blog were the catalyst to what I am doing now, like completely. It's really amazing, isn't it? And and I think it's it's a great example of how you can work your way into area into any area of uh, graphic design you want. Mm-hmm. You've been able to work on your uh, passion, but you transitioned from uh, a, a job that you didn't particularly like in a in a really nice way. I think a lot of young designers hear stories like yours and they think that they can just basically quit their job and from day one without actually doing any work have clients and you know become a a big name but obviously it doesn't work that way you have to work up to it as you have done on the side and uh, I think the way that you've done it is really inspiring and I hope people listening will will learn from your experiences. Can I ask you about the illustration agent you mentioned? Mm-hmm. I've I've never worked with one myself. So what is it they actually do? do? Do they get you constant work? Well, I was actually talking with my agent the other day about this. I think that the role that an illustration agent plays has changed over the years. Um, I, I'd say greatly with the uh, internet being around now. Um, I had always understood it as an agent, uh, and this is kind of how I work with with my agent. I'm sure other agencies vary slightly, but I very much see my illustration agent as the business arm of what I do. Um, they handle everything from the inbound requests to the sending the estimates and negotiating and setting up uh, like project management, so like the timeline for the project and uh, communicating, communi- help not necessarily solely communicating with clients, but aiding in the communication with clients. So let's say a client maybe asks for a revision that is a little bit out of, uh, out of the scope of what we had agreed on. My agent would then push back on that. So they're just kind of monitoring the project as it goes. And I guess in the simplest of terms, they can play, they can, 
they can play bad cop when needed. Um, and then they do the final um, invoices and follow-ups and all that kind of stuff. And they do a bit of client management as well, you know, sending holiday gifts and things like that. I guess that's a little bit more traditional. But I think a misconception about an illustration agent is that they get me all of my work. Um, the entire time I've had an agent, I have felt very responsible for bringing in the majority of my work. But it's only because prior to... I guess having an agent, I realized that the generator of leads for me was uh, my passion project, so daily dishonesty. And so that's why I've been, over the last, gosh, six years, uh, continued to make personal like passion projects that will then generate leads. It's kind of like the, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have said it, but making the work that you would like to get hired for. Um, and that's what, that's the role that passion projects play in my business. So the biggest change was when I signed with my agent, I changed my contact information on my website to, you know, if you're interested in working with me, email my agent instead of me directly. So they field all of those incoming requests. I'm not positive where all of the leads come from. Um, they will, there is, I'd say maybe 15 or 20% of the projects that I do, do come from my agent. And what I mean by that is, they also have connections in the industries, uh, editorial, advertising, all those things where they might have a relationship with an art director or creative director who comes to them and says, hey, I'm working on this campaign. Uh, I need a hand lettering artist who works in, you know, a kind of sketchy hand drawn style. Who do you have? And then they'll pitch, you know, of the 30 artists on our roster, they'll kind of handpick a couple of us who might be a good fit for that. And so I do get work that way. But I'd say the vast majority is work that's coming in directly for me um, from people who are either following me online um, or have seen my work, uh, you know, on a design blog or something. Uh, it's kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it sounds a little like they're doing all the hard stuff that most designers don't like, like sales and account management and, and admin. Mm -hmm. How does it work in terms of paying an agent? Is it a fixed fee or do they take some kind of percentage of your sales? Yes. Yeah, so the way I've talked with a bunch of other friends who have agents because it's always good to just see like, hey, is my situation like the same as yours? And it's good to uh, get a feel on that. The way that agents typically work is we pay them a percentage of the total project fee. So I'd say industry standard is anywhere between 20 and 30%, which when I first told my parents, they were like, don't do that. Like, why would you give away like, you know, almost a third of your income to somebody else? But I... My gut feeling on it when I when I first signed was that it was worth it because if it was working for all my favorite artists, why wouldn't it work for me? That was the first first thought. And then I really liked that, you know, it was a mutually beneficial relationship where they're incentivized to negotiate higher for me because their commission is dependent on it. And I don't have to pay them unless I'm also making um, money on a project. So I saw it as a very mutually beneficial relationship and I've I've greatly enjoyed it too, because one thing that I, I will always tell people if they're interested in getting an, an agent or wonder if it's the right path for them is it really depends too on how much you dislike doing the admin stuff. And for me, <laughs> I greatly, greatly, greatly dislike it. It brings me like so much <laughs> sorrow. <laughs> to even I, I'm, I'm so bad, like even sending an invoice, which is like the next step to getting paid, I will drag my feet on. And that's not good for business. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> and so what, what my agent has allowed me to do and what 
you know, paying them that 30% of my income has allowed me to do is it frees up my creative headspace and my time, which is, I would say, much more valuable than that 30%. I would not trade that for anything. Um, it's allowed me to teach workshops and teach online classes and to work on personal projects, which, which then generate more leads for commercial projects. So I can't really... I. I can't imagine working without them um, now that I kind of have the system down that I have. If, if for some reason I didn't have an agent, I do feel confident that I could manage my own business. I just don't want to. Um, and that's, that's one thing too that I've, I've had to learn over the years too is it's okay to outsource the work that isn't in my specific zone of genius or isn't the work that I really, really want to do because as I get busier and time gets more scarce, you know, I realize it's, it's, just a business thing to outsource the stuff that, you know, I'm not either not good at or isn't the best use of my time. Cause I really only, everyone has the same 24 hours in a day. And I think most creative people want to use those hours creatively. And so that's what I'm striving for. Yeah, absolutely. It really sounds like a win-win situation and it's no different to employing an assistant or, or an account manager. So I think it's a great idea. <laughs> I just want to take a short break to tell you more about FreshBooks, who has sponsored the Logo Geek podcast, and without them, it simply would not be possible. I remember when I started out as a designer, taking on my own projects, I was creating my own invoices in InDesign, and I was keeping a log of my money in an Excel spreadsheet. That was fine at first, but with more projects, it was just taking too much time and tracking expenses in Excel was becoming quite messy and confusing. But then I tried FreshBooks and it changed everything. Invoices that used to take, you know, five, 10 minutes now took around 30 seconds to create. My profits and expenses were also nicely organized too. And I, I just immediately felt so much more organized and more professional in the process. If you're not yet using an accounting software, I highly recommend that you give FreshBooks a go. And if you're listening now, you can get a free 30-day trial and there's no strings attached. You don't need to enter any credit card details to try it out. All you need to do is head over to freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek and be sure to enter logo geek in the how did you hear about section to get started. Now let's get back to that interview. One of the topics I'd love to talk about with you is your hand lettering process. Mm -hmm. I've found from interviewing different designers in the podcast that everyone works in a slightly different way. So can you share with us your process and if possible, dive into the nitty gritty details because I know listeners will really love that. Okay. Um, so my process has changed, I think, a lot over the years because of, I guess, technology. So when I started hand lettering, because I, again, wasn't an illustration major or anything, I didn't have any fancy supplies, I started hand lettering with a pad of graph paper, a Sharpie, a pencil, and that was really it. Um, I just kind of used what I had at the time, and I had a computer that had Photoshop and Illustrator on it, and I was fairly well-versed in those programs to begin with. So really, my process was developed from seeing stuff uh, and lettering styles that I liked and then figuring out how I could, you know, emulate that same feel with using the tools that I had. And, you know, back in 2011, 2012 too, I didn't 
even know about like the wealth of tutorials and resources online. And I don't think there really were as many, uh, you know, six or seven years ago. Now you can look up anything you want. Um, (laughs) it's incredible and it really (laughs) is amazing. And I hope that it, you know, turns more people into artists and graphic designers because it demystifies the process a bit, but it also was really helpful for me at the beginning to just figure out how to do it, um, in whatever way I could. So I was, doing my lettering, I'd say all by hand at first with, again, markers, paper. um, And then I would go to the library at school, scan it in, uh, and then finish it up in Photoshop by kind of extracting the black and white type out of uh, the paper background and then manipulating it in Photoshop. But really with no crazy, um, you know, Photoshop techniques, it was just painting each part layer by layer. I painted all the shadows, but you know, by hand. And it was really like illustrating in Photoshop. I had my little Wacom tablet um, that I rented from, from the school. So that was my process to begin with. And that really was my process for the first three, I'd say three or four years of my career. And then I got an iPad uh, about a year and a half ago. And now I'd say I split, um, you know, it's kind of half and half. I still love drawing and painting on paper. And there is a certain line quality and, you know, margin of error that doing stuff completely by hand on paper allows for that can be really nice. Um, but because I travel so much for work, the having my iPad to do a hundred percent of the project on is a real time saver and just really convenient too. So I'd say, yeah, most of my work is done on, on my iPad now, but for the for specific projects, if I'm home and it requires more of a hand touch, um, I'll do things on paper and scan it in. Um, but yeah, the process really is starting off, um, you know, sketching by hand just with the pencil um, and then going over that in a black marker or going over it with an ink brush, you know, in my iPad. And then usually I'll take it into Photoshop after that, regardless whether it was started in, you know, Procreate or Adobe Sketch um, or on a piece of paper. And then I will go ahead and add all the color and the dimensionality and texture in Photoshop, just because that's where I'm the most comfortable doing that. Yeah, this is great. I think what I'll do is make sure to share one of your videos Mm -hmm. in the show notes, um, because I know it's quite hard to explain this type of thing and it's much easier to see (laughs) it. So if people go and check out the show notes for this episode, I'll make sure to add a video in there. Anyway, you you mentioned you're using an iPad um, within your process. Is there any particular apps that you're using that, that Mm -hmm. that, that you would recommend? Yes, um, I'd say that my favorite apps for drawing um, are Procreate, uh, Adobe Sketch, and Adobe Capture. Um, Adobe Capture is really great for vectorizing things quickly. Um, The technology is pretty cool. You can take a picture of a drawing you've done, and it'll kind of quick vector it, and then you can go ahead and uh, toy around with it in the computer. Oh, another one is uh, AstroPad, which is pretty cool. It basically turns your iPad, it mirrors your desktop screen on your iPad. So it turns your iPad into like a mini like Cintiq tablet. Um, it's a little bit laggy sometimes over Wi-Fi if the connection isn't great, but that's I found that that's a really cool way to combine both of those surfaces. Um, and then, yeah, I'd, I'd say those are my main ones. The brushes in Procreate and Adobe Sketch are just different. Um, Procreate has more capabilities. I mean, sorry. Um, yeah, Procreate does have more capabilities in terms of being able to uh, add effects and manipulate type and uh, control over the brushes. 
But I really have been gravitating towards Adobe Sketch uh, in the last year because, so when I first got my iPad, uh, I was using it exclusively with Procreate for the first maybe four or five months. And there's just so many things you can do with it that I tried drawing by hand again, just in my sketchbook after that period. And I realized that my hand and my eye had gotten a bit lazy because I couldn't just pinch and zoom and resize things and nudge things over like I normally could. (laughs) And I was like, oh no, like I still want to maintain a certain amount of, you know, capabilities with my eye and my hand. So now I try to kind of do 50, 50, um, you know, still sketching in my sketchbook and on paper just to, uh, keep sharp. Um, but, Adobe Sketch has been really nice because it doesn't have as many capabilities in terms of how you can manipulate uh, the brushes and, and your drawing. So it's really more like a true digital sketch pad. So, um, and their watercolor brush is incredible. It, it actually bleeds onto the paper like real watercolor would bleed. So that's that's been really cool. Um, I did hear last year that Adobe is coming out with uh, Photoshop, particularly for the iPad, uh, this year. So I'm really excited to try that whenever it comes out. I really need to get myself an iPad. <laughs> I, I keep seeing people using them and uh, so many people are recording their processes and posting them on Instagram, uh, I which I think is amazing. Yes. But the one thing about, I, well, the one thing I will say about that is now that most, I'd say most people that I see on Instagram now uh, and just online are using an iPad um, and they're recording their process through the apps. And it's incredible to see like the bit by bit process. Um, And I do agree that like iPads and any technology, any kind of tablet can streamline and speed up your process. I think there is, I still love doing stuff by hand and still love following people who are just recording, you know, them on paper too. I think that there will be, I don't know, kind of like with, with anything, whenever there's a lot of one thing, there's like a resurgence or a, a desire for like the nostalgic old thing. Okay. Um, and uh, talking about the the process, I mm-hmm. I see online sometimes you're doing these huge morals where you're actually painting on a wall. Mm-hmm. Can you talk through how you go about doing that type of thing as well? Like, I, I assume that you are like planning it as you would, <laughs> you know, on your iPad and in um, Photoshop and Illustrator. But how do you go from that to having it on a wall or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. um, So I got started with murals actually through chalkboards at first. Um, I was doing chalkboard menus and then big chalkboard signs for restaurants in New York City. And with those ones, I just eyeballed it and I would measure things out by hand and uh, just kind of not even transfer my sketch, but look at my sketch and then just try to draw it on the wall. So that was really great for me to kind of train my eye and my hand again to have a natural kind of intuition about where things should go. But as I started working in much larger spaces, so I think anything that's bigger than, um, you know, eight feet by eight feet, I'm definitely going to actually, no, probably bigger than five, five by five. I think I would use a projector or use some other kind of way to just transfer the direct design on the wall. The two ways that I've done it are, yeah, just doing my doing my drawing, uh, you know, on the computer and then uh, plugging it into a projector and then projecting the design on the wall, uh, tracing it with chalk or pencil and then going ahead and painting over it. Um, and then the other way that I've done it is you can take your design and you can kind of cut it up, grid it up, and then get it printed out on large sheets of paper and then tape it all together. And then, um, you know, kind of, I think you can use, what is it called? Um, there's, 
uh, it's like a transfer tracing transfer paper that has like charcoal or dust on the other side that you can then put behind your drawing and then poke little holes through along the lines of your drawing uh, and then it, that will transfer it to the wall. So I've done both of those. Projectors are the, I think, most convenient way to do things, but you can really only use them if you have one, access to an outlet to plug your projector into, and then two, the clearance away from the wall to be able to project it. Um, if you're you know, painting something in a tighter space or a hallway, you just might not be able to project it because you can't get far enough back. So both of those ways I've done. And uh, for convenience, I usually, you know, and most of the murals that I paint are indoors. So uh, I like being able to project things because it just makes the process a lot quicker. Yeah, I, I would highly recommend listeners who are not already familiar with your work to go and check <laughs> out um, your work on, on Instagram because it's, it's, it's really amazing. Yeah, I want to ask you, as well about the resources on your website because I found mm -hmm. you have things like tutorials and homework which is perfect for those who want to learn more about hand lettering. Can you tell us more about that? So I'd really love for people to go and check that out. Oh yeah absolutely. Um, so recently I started uh, a creative resource library where I yeah, like you mentioned I have tutorials and kind of resources for people who want to do lettering, but also just anyone who you know incorporates type into their work or is looking to go freelance or start getting uh, more eyes on their work. So yeah, it's just a page that I, I update it once a month um, with a new tutorial or new resource. And it's got lettering tips. Um, my favorite video in there actually is a video where I tackle tricky letters. So my least favorite letters to, uh, to draw are... S's, N's, M's, and W's. Those ones gave me the most headache uh, when I was starting out. So it's a it's actually an excerpt from my larger uh, hand lettering class that I have online. But it is about I think about it's only about twelve minutes. So it's a little little medium sized video where I just go over my entire process of how to draw those letters with ease and uh, how to make them look correct. Because one thing about type that's cool is that there are you know there are some basic rules to follow to make type look, you know, more professional and just more correct. And I think I had to make a lot of mistakes early on when I was lettering to figure out, you know, oh, that looks kind of wonky or that looks wrong. So it's basically every resource in there is just from, you know, my six or seven years of experimenting and seeing what works, seeing what doesn't with lettering and with marketing and all that good stuff. It's brilliant. I, I think what I'll do is make sure to include links to all of this in, in the show notes so yes, that people can so that people can easily find them. Amazing. Oh, you also, uh, I think you mentioned, oh yeah, my homework. So it's a play on my last name. I, I do send a weekly homework uh, that really just started as I did not know what it was going to turn into. So at the beginning of 2018, I thought it would be fun to start a weekly homework challenge or homework challenge because the number one thing, the number one question I get outside of actual lettering um, questions is how do I come up with ideas for what to letter? It, I realized that lettering itself and practicing letter forms was not the issue a lot of people were having because like, like we talked about, there are so many good resources, free resources online where you can kind of piece together um, answers to your questions when it comes to technical lettering things. But people really struggle with what to letter other than song lyrics or, you know, motivational quotes. And with my advertising background, I actually found that that is 
one of my like hidden talents. I didn't realize it until many, many years in, but I am good at coming up with interesting things to letter and ways to show off, you know, different parts of my personality and really differentiate myself in the lettering world, not through my lettering, which I, which I do think is good, but with my ideas and the concepts behind what I'm lettering, kind of like daily dishonesty. And so my weekly homework challenge, instead of lettering challenges that just give you a phrase or a letter, I mean, a word to letter for that week, I will give a creative prompt that gives you an idea of what to letter, but you have to put your own personal spin on it. Um, and I really started it just for fun. And I thought I would do it for maybe, you know, 10, 10 weeks or so, and then call it a day. But uh, I think last week was our 60th week of doing it. So it's been going Ooh. on for over a year. <laughs> and, the, and the reason that I kept it going was because the response was so phenomenal to it. There are are 25,000 people who are signed up for this weekly homework. And I cannot believe it. I think there's almost 50,000 submissions in the, if you go to hashtag H-O-M-W-O-R-K on Instagram, you can see the stuff that people submit. It's actually, I didn't even realize by using Instagram and a hashtag as the way for people to submit their work to the challenge instead of emailing it to me or whatnot, it kind of created this interesting online like classroom where, you know, in design school, everyone gets an assignment and the whole class works on it and you put your work up on the wall and you talk about it and you critique it. It kind of turned into a version of that where people can now log on and to Instagram and go to the hashtag and see what everyone else did with the brief and how they interpreted it. And it's been really amazing to see. Sounds amazing. I'm definitely going to go and check that out. Anyway, (laughs) since we're on the topic of Instagram, Mm -hmm. I was looking through your feed and I came across something called bread on your head. (laughs) What is that about? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So again, another example of me and my ideas. Um, As I've progressed in my lettering career, I I still love lettering. I'm really grateful to do it for a job, but I think I still like to experiment in other areas besides lettering. My, you know, creativity expands past that. And the idea for, so that, those pictures of me, for those of you who have no (laughs) idea what we're talking about, if you scroll, you know, a couple weeks or maybe a couple months into my Instagram, there's a whole slew of photos of me wearing these headdresses and like crowns made out of bread and crackers and cookies and all, all those yummy things. Um, the series is called Flower Crowns, F-L-O-U-R Crowns. And it was really just the same way Daily Dishonesty started. It was a silly idea that I had. I kind of chuckled about it in my head. And then something in me was like, huh, that'd be really funny to bring to life and make an actual thing and you know give it a name and kind of launch it as a series. Um, which is kind of my MO. So I, you know, bought a bunch of colorful paper backdrops and went to the store, bought a bunch of bread and started, and I brought it to life. It really was as simple as I had a silly idea that I wanted to see made in the world. And it has nothing to do with lettering. It really has not <laughs> furthered any, any lettering, uh, progress or any, you know, new leads for that. But it, in a way, I, I think people at first, People were asking me, aren't you worried that you'll alienate some of your lettering followers because they're used to seeing lettering? And I, I thought about it and I was like, yes, some people may unfollow me because they're used to seeing lettering from my feed. And then all of a sudden, here's a picture of me with croissants on my head. Um, <laughs> but then I thought about it. And because all of my projects over the years, even though they're lettering based, they're also based on humor and just my personality. And so I figured, 
the people who ended up staying um, and engaging with it were kind of like my true fans and people who I was just curious to see what would happen too. And yeah, like I said, it was really as simple as this is a funny thing that I want to make and show, you know, to the world. And (laughs) it was just a good, it was a good creative exercise for me to do something that wasn't lettering. And I really, I did start it too with the intention of, um, I'll tell you the backstory of this. So my literary agent, the same one who helped me sell Daily Dishonesty, I'd say, you know, once a year, she'll email me and say, hey, do you have any new ideas for books? Like we should talk. And we we did a journal together um, about three years ago, but I haven't done anything else since then. And maybe two years ago, she emailed me asking for ideas. And so I sent her a bunch of, you know, food and lettering ideas. So I wanted to make a cookbook. I wanted to do all these food projects. And she had emailed me back saying, hey, these are all really great ideas. However, I can't sell these into a book. I can't sell these to publishers for you because you're a hand letterer, not a chef or a, 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 people don't know you for food and they don't, they don't even associate you with food. Therefore, I don't know if I can use your audience as a viable way to sell, you know, something to a publisher that had to do with food. Um, I can only really sell, you know, lettering and humor for you. So I was bummed, but I, it was valuable feedback and it's very true too. Um, like I mentioned before with the blog to book kind of content, anyone who has an online following, um, or has a blog or whatever it may be, uh, publishers want to see that you have an engaged audience in that category already. And that's a huge selling point, um, if they're going to publish a book for you. So in the back of my mind, I think I did start my flower crowns project to just not to become a chef or, you know, a food author, but just to start turning the tables a little bit more towards, Hey, like, you know, there's Lauren Hom. She's the one who does lettering and that weird, you know, bread series. (laughs) Um, So it was really just as simple as that. It was a just for fun project. And it, I think also allowed me to get a little bit looser with my Instagram page. And it's kind of turned things in a slightly different direction where people follow me for lettering now, but they also hopefully follow me for me. And, you know, I'm just kind of like their weird internet friend and I'm a hundred percent on board with that. (laughs) I think it shows a lot of your personality because um, for this interview, I made sure to check through everything of yours. And, and when I cre- when I came across that, I just thought, what is this? Is that brain in your head? What the hell? And um, it led me down a bit of a rabbit hole as I found a website for that too. And I, I think it's great because you're selling courses and, and products. Um, since people buy from those they they know like and trust um i think it works in your favor and it, mm-hmm. because it seems fun and a little bit weird i know that the courses will be fun too because of that so oh, thank you yeah anyway we are near the end of our time so i want to ask you one last question Ooh, okay. if you could travel back in time and offer your younger self just one piece of advice what would that advice be Ooh. One piece of advice. Ooh, I was going to say that I would travel back to me when I was questioning whether I should leave advertising and tell myself that it it was going to be okay. But then I thought, thought I would take it back because I think some of that uncertainty about not sure, like not being sure if it was going to be okay was really motivating for me. So I don't want to kill, yeah. you know, <laughs> kill my fire. Um if I could go back in time and give myself one bit of advice, um, you know, I, 
I'm not quite sure because I don't, I, I, maybe I'm thinking way too into this question, but I, <laughs> I wouldn't want to uh, like change any part of my story because all of it, even the bad stuff and the stressful stuff was so valuable and like, you know, critical to what I'm doing now and how I approach my work. Um, but yeah, I guess if I, if I could go back, I would tell myself to believe in my capabilities and to follow my gut, which I ended up doing eventually, um, with my advertising job, but to follow my, not only my like, uh, gut, but my creativity. Um, I think that being in tune with, Hey, this kind of work feels good to do. And then pursuing that and not thinking of it as frivolous, but thinking of it as, Oh, an inkling of, I should move more in this direction because I think growing up, you know, I, my parents are very hardworking and I, I always did well in school, but I very much uh, bought into that. I think kind of classic uh, belief that, you know, things that are easy and fun aren't actual work. They're just fun. And I wish I could go back in time, maybe even to my childhood and tell myself that earlier that you can have fun with what you do and it can be very serious work. I actually am in the process right now of uh, writing a talk that I'm going to be giving uh, this summer and it kind of outlines just how I've built a pretty serious career out of doing silly work. And I wish someone had told me that earlier, that work that, you know, work that you get paid for and work that, um, you know, you can build a career upon doesn't have to be hard and doesn't have to be a struggle. Um, it can be quite fun actually and very grateful that I get to do what I do now. I think it's really nice to see that you've been able to create a, a dream job doing something fun and uh, turn that into a very successful business too. You know, your story is really inspiring so Lauren thank you so much for sharing it with us. I hope someone will listen to this and think you know if Lauren's been able to do that then I can do that too. Well thank you. I hope that they believe that too because you know when I started lettering and started doing daily dishonesty, I was just as lost as any 21 year old could possibly be in terms of what, you know, my career was going to look like and what I was going to do. So if, and you know, if silly, you know, drunk 21 year old me could start a lettering blog, I think that <laughs> it's very possible for anybody because it doesn't have to take a lot of time or money too to start doing personal work. It is really as simple as drawing something and taking a photo of it and uploading it onto the internet now which is pretty incredible yeah it's really amazing what you can do now isn't it well lauren thank you so much for coming on it's been really fun chatting with you yeah thanks for having me how inspiring was that story lauren thank you so much for coming on the show it was really fun to chat with you if you'd like to learn more about lauren hom head over to her website hom sweet hom Com, where you can see her work, her blog, her books, courses, resources, and more. Alternatively, go and check out the show notes where you'll find links to all of that and any of the resources discussed in the interview, as well as a full transcription. To find the show notes, just head over to logogeek.uk forward slash 4.5. If you want to chat about this episode with me and over 6,000 logo designers from around the world, join the Logo Geek community on Facebook, where you can network, get feedback on your work, ask questions, share any exciting news, 
um, or more, anything you want really. It's one of the best places to mingle with some of the best logo designers in the world. So I'd love to see you there too. If you want to join, just head over to logogeek.uk forward slash community or just search Logo Geek on Facebook. So that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you again this time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek podcast. <laughs>